0: month we're talking about grow, growing in our emotions, growing in our love for God, growing in our faith, growing in in as many areas as we can pack into one month. And what I'm going to be talking about this morning and sharing with you is growing through blessing, God's incredible blessing on our life. That's what I would like to be talking on this morning because that's what I wanna experience every day. But what I need to be talking about this morning, because this is one of the primary ways we grow, is how to grow through adversity, how to grow through hard times, how to grow through trials and sorrow and pain. And as much as I would love to stand up here and say, We grow the most when we walk fully in God's favor. We grow the most when we're experiencing a season of God's blessing in our life. We grow the most when we have no worries and no troubles. But you know, that's not how it works. We're gonna get comfort and instruction from the word this morning. I was reading something not long ago, and it said, if you want to mess with your theology Of course, meaning if you want to mess with what you know to be true about the nature of God and the ways of God, read your Bible. And at first, I started chuckling. I thought, that's really funny. But then it struck me how true and how powerful it is. And I realize over time, as time goes on, that there are things that I have thought to be true about God or things I didn't want to believe to be true about God that I had to force myself to look at what the Bible actually says in certain areas, because we're all raised with with imperfect people and imperfect pastors, and we all get bits and pieces of things. Sometimes what we're left with is not a very complete picture of who God is, but I want to just bring a strand of truth this morning about how we grow through adversity. Now, we are only, what, six weeks into this month? (coughs) Excuse me. And how many of you, now if you're a visitor, please don't feel like you have to raise your hand, but the rest of us are family, and we're pretty comfortable with each other. We make y'all do all kinds of stuff around here, so raising our hands is just a small part. But how many of you, since this year started, six weeks ago, feel like you have, life has just come crashing through your front door, something you didn't see coming, or something that you're starting to reap the consequence of, or something that you can't even put into words fully. How many of you could say with me that life has not gone as we expected so quickly in the year? Could you raise your hands? If you look around, well, maybe you don't want to look around, but most of our hands are up, mine included, because I, even though I want to believe that the way that I grow is to, to never have a problem or trouble, or circumstance that is, is distressing, troubling. The truth is, God uses adversity to strengthen me. So let's receive some comfort and instruction from the word this morning. When you go through deep waters, so it says not if, but when. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, some of you are swimming, in a river of difficulty this morning, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, and oppression here can mean either mental anguish or it can mean cruel injustice. If you're walking through a situation that you have been cruelly used, you have been something has been done to you that was unjust. If you're right in the middle of that situation right now, God's word to you is, you will not be burned up. You will not be burned up. This will not overcome you, overtake you. The flames will not consume you. Would you receive that word this morning? If, we, if you hear nothing else than this verse, will you receive that from the Lord this morning? Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right, let's go to the New Testament, please. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, now this includes what kind of trouble? Any kind of trouble. The trouble you see coming a mile away, I knew that was gonna come back to bite me in the rear, I just knew it. The trouble you never saw coming that sideswipes you, you're like, I didn't know that was gonna happen, I don't know what, what's going on. What's happening to me, it says when you go through any trouble, troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. And this is just ridiculous for joy, great joy. Uh, it's just so. I'm ashamed to say how many times I have considered it. An opportunity for great complaining, great bitterness, great fault finding. I didn't honor the truth of this word in my life. Not because I didn't believe it, because I don't want to walk it out. For you know that when your faith is tested, joy, joy, your endurance And endurance means your ability to persevere. What a powerful word that is. Your ability to persevere. Something about that word just stirs strength in me. When your faith is tested through the thing that you're going through right now, you don't have to wait for what's coming next month or next year. The situation you're in right now whether it's with your in-laws or your children or work or your health or your animals, your grandchildren. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It's that when troubles of any kind come. This situation is intended to grow your ability to persevere. That must be very important to God. Because some of us feel like we are always walking through a fiery trial. Some of us feel like we are a punching bag for everything that life has to offer. and I want to find a way to redeem, to draw God's purpose out of this trial, this adversity, this pain, this sorrow, this circumstance, so that God can say, I was glorified in her life. I was glorified in that situation because when your ability to persevere is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Amen. Now, the Bible, I'll try to go quickly through these. The Bible gives us three main sources of our troubles, of our adversities, of things that we're walking through. And the first one is the one that I don't like. This is the hardest one for me to, to, to hear, to believe, and to try to wrestle through the implications of this verse, these verses. But the, one of the first things that the Bible teaches is that God allows adversity into our life. And this so messes with my theology because I was raised and believe, and it's true, that God is a good father, that he has good things for his children, that he'll make everything turn out for our good according to his purpose. I had a father that was a good father. So nothing in my life led me to believe that God isn't good. And so I know that even though we're going to read some verses that might seem to say God allows and sometimes purposes adversity for us, I must believe that God is good and that God can be trusted right in the middle of this terrible, stinking mess I find myself in. Now, Jesus was walking along with his disciples, and he saw a man that was blind since he was born. He had a disability. So Jesus takes this opportunity to stop and uses this moment for God's purpose. So the disciples say, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, you can see their theology is a little messed up, too. Because they believed that all illness, all disability, any deformity, anything that's out of the normal is a sign of God's judgment, God's anger, God's wrath. So they're just asking the natural question, who, whose sin is it? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Why is this man like this? What, what is your judgment Coming upon him for? And Jesus doesn't answer that question like so many times. You ask him a question to answer something that seems like it has absolutely nothing to do with what you've just asked. Because Jesus says this it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. What? I have my why questions. I do. We all have, God, why did this happen? God, why did you allow this? You're omnipotent. You're all powerful. You're all knowing. Couldn't you have just stepped up to bat for me? After all I've done for you. Jesus didn't answer the question about what caused his blindness. Jesus goes right to the direct, to the root, the purpose of it. And he gave an answer saying, there was a purpose for this man to have this disability. There is a purpose. And that's what we're going to see, God's purpose come forth. That's hard for me to take. The explanation for the man's blindness wasn't a past reason wasn't something he had done wrong, but it was for a future purpose that God had for this man, a future purpose for God's glory to be shown. And I know that sometimes we're in the, when we're in the middle of a, of a difficult time, that's very little comfort, but it shouldn't be. It should give us great comfort. Just Let me just pull this thread for just a moment, if you'll allow me. You will never meet a person for whom God doesn't have a purpose. You will never meet a child that was not created by God's hand and for his purpose. Here at Northwest, God is stirring our hearts to not only work with generations as it's always been our our desire to do, but he's stirring in our hearts to work with children that have what we consider disabilities of all kinds, deformities of some kinds. What the world says is a disability, but I'm here to tell you God has a purpose for that child's life. And God has given that child to the parents that will draw that purpose out because that purpose is to glorify God and God will be glorified in that situation if we as parents and grandparents and children and people of this church will seek his purpose in all things. God has never created someone, anyone without a purpose and you, my friend, have a purpose from God. And whatever you're going through, I, it, whatever the situation, the painful, the betrayal, the blind side, that, well, it was really my sin that caused it. Whatever it is, God wants to be glorified through it. Let me move on. The second source of adversity, we, we, this is the one that we know. Fine, well, it's our sin, our own sin, or the sin of someone else. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And never means never. Not one time. Never. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own desires. Things that you want, they're buried or not so buried. Enticing us, dragging us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Our sin causes adversity. Our sin causes trouble. Our own sin Causes our loss of self-esteem. Our own sin causes our shame. Our own sin causes our guilt. And the adversities that come into our life. The third, we all know, we could have, we could have named this one. That's Satan. Our adversary. Be of sober spirit. That means pay attention. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil... Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. It's easier said than done, right? I can say resist, and then in the process of resisting, I'm like, whoa, weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world. You know, we have to take comfort in the fact that others are suffering like us. <coughs> Peter, the Apostle Peter is reminding us here that our enemy wants to take us out through the adversity that comes to our life. Through the pain that happens in our life. Through the trouble that befalls us. Through our fault or through someone else. And we get caught up in the why, God? Why did you let this happen? Why? Why? And I've seen people whose faith is shipwrecked because they can't get past the question of why did God allow this to happen? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? Why is this going on, God? And their faith is shipwrecked. Their trust is shattered. Doubts come in. But let me say, more important than the source of adversity is how we respond to adversity. I was thinking, um, as I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about Jesus. And I'm going to have another example of him in a few moments. But, you know, when we try to figure this out, sometimes it's like, well, what if this is God's will that I'm going through this? And, or I don't want to bind it if it's, if it's God's doing, and what if it's Satan? And the, the easiest one to figure out is when it's a consequence of our own sin. Am I right on that? At least in my life, it is. I can, I can connect the dots very easily, but it kind of gets murky if it's not that. So I looked to Jesus and I, I, I looked at what he, how he responded. When he went through adversity, specifically the adversity in his final days. And as we all know, he was brutally tortured. As the scriptures teach us, and historical documents also reveal, he was crucified, he was buried. And so you think, well, who's, who, who was responsible for that? Was that sin? Was that God? Was that Satan? And in each instance, we can trace that thread back to another part of God's plan. But what's important is how Christ responded to that adversity. His response to his father's will is what paved the way for salvation for me and for you and all of mankind, his response. So it wasn't so much about, although we know he said, Lord, if it's, if it's possible. I don't want to go through this trial. But you know what? If you lead me to it, it's your will and I'm going to go through it. His response. I think about the two different responses in the book of Job, which we're not going to go to. It's way too long and way too complicated for right now. But there are two responses that stand out to me right away. Job's wife much to my embarrassment, got tired of putting up with the, ad, the, the trials that Job was going through, and she just said, oh, just curse God and die already. Let's just, get, let's just get it over. Just curse him. God will strike you dead, and let's be done with it. I guess that's easy for her to say, but, but Job's response, Job's response, the one that's actually happening to him, the boils and all these things, though he slay me. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why this is happening. I'm a righteous man. The Lord's confirmed that. I don't understand why God is leading me through what I'm going through today. I do not understand. But one thing I will affirm, wife, though he slay me, I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna trust him, though he slay me. I'm going to be holding on to the hem of his garment no matter what. Because honestly, brothers and sisters, what choice do we have? As, As believers, as ones that know the truth, that there is a God, that he does love us, he died on the cross for us, we know that truth. Like the disciples, we say, where else will we turn? Who else are we going to turn to? What man-made structure, what man-made hope do we turn to? You alone have the words that revive my soul. You alone, God, have the words that will revive my family. You alone, God, have the breath that will breathe life back into my marriage. You alone, where else am I going to go? So we affirm with Job, though he slay us, we're going to trust him because he is a good father and a good God. And when life isn't good, God is still good. Amen? All right. As much as we want to know the why, the real question we need to ask is how. Now I'm gonna take it for granted due to time that we're all putting on the armor of God we're reading the word. We're crying out to God in the middle of our trial and saying, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass. We're getting wise counsel in the middle of, of troubling times. We're making sure we have the best plan, the best path forward. I'm taking all of that for granted. And I'm going to give you two things that, that we need to do, whether the trial is one day, whether the temptation is for a year, whether the sorrow you feel like will never leave your heart. Let's look at two things. respond with patient expectancy. I'm going to take a few moments and, and tell the story of Joseph. Most of us know it. If you don't know it, it's a, it's a good read. Um, it starts in Genesis 37, and it goes all the way through to the end of the book. There is more written about Joseph and his life than was written about Moses, than was written about Abraham. It's an important story. And so many things about his life parallel the life of Christ But the story picks up when he's 17 years old. He was a favored son. And talk about a dysfunctional family. Jacob had it. He was not a good father. He had a favorite. And what's the number one rule of parenting? Besides, if you say something, follow through. The number one side of parenting is don't have. Try not to anyway. Don't show it if you do. He had a favorite. And everybody knew it, all the brothers knew it, and all the brothers hated him. Now, this is the biblical royalty. These are the great-grandsons of Abraham, children of the promise. And this is how they're acting. It says to take him, the father said, go and see how your brothers are doing and take him some food and whatever. The brothers see him coming, and they hated him. It says they despised him. So, let, let me just read the words that it says. They're violent action words. They stripped him of his clothing. They grabbed him. They threw him down into a dry well. And there he lays. Now, God had given Joseph two dreams. And those dreams said, you have a purpose. I have, I have created you for a specific purpose And I'm going to raise you up to a great height. But now he's in the bottom of a well. And I can imagine that he's hurt, physically, hurt emotionally. These are his brothers that he loves. He's scared. And he's alone. And you know what? It seems like God is silent How could this happen? God, how could you let this happen to me? I've served you my whole life. I've loved you my whole life. I've I've dedicated all my children in this church. How could you let that happen to me? Why? Joseph never saw it coming. He never saw the betrayal coming. God was silent. Then he hears voices of a caravan. Foreigners with the caravan. And those brothers sell him. We know the story. 20 pieces of silver. That was the price you paid for a servant or a slave that was deficient, that had some kind of infirmity, that was defective. They paid the price. And he's carted off 750 miles to his new destination where he's sold again. All through this time, God seems silent. No, we're walking through trials. Sometimes we don't see the end of the trial and we think, God, I'm I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. and The words are just dry. It's like dry parchment. I don't hear your voice. I know you care about me, but I don't hear your voice and I don't see your hand and I don't see the purpose of this and I don't even care that there is a purpose. I just want through this. But then we begin to see something. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Joseph thought God was silent, but God is with him, causing him to succeed. We know that he, we know his story. We won't go into it because of time, but the master's wife has intentions toward Joseph. And once again, he loses his coat for another reason. Now he's lost the second coat. The man can't keep his coats. But so he leaves the coat with the master's wife. And she, of course, does not like being scorned because she wanted to sleep with him. Read the story. And he's thrown in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful. Love. Why should you be suffering for something that someone else did? Why is somebody else's mistake, somebody else's sin, someone else's error? And you're walking through the trial. You're walking through the suffering. But we begin to see what's happening as we continue to read Joseph's story. Please say this with me. Read this with me if you can see it. God may be, but he is not. God may be, but he is not. He is working in your situation. He is working through your trial. Oh, hear me. Hear me, sisters. Hear me, brothers. God is not still on your behalf. He is mighty, the Bible says, mighty to save. He is a mighty conqueror and he is working on your behalf and we must trust him. No matter the duration of the trial, no matter the severity of the trial, that doesn't limit God's work in our life. He is not still. His arm is not short. He is working right now behind the scenes on your behalf because he wants his purpose to be fulfilled and he wants to use you. And he wants to use me because we were created with purpose. And sometimes it takes adversity for God's glory to be seen in our life. Amen. All right. Respond with gratitude. I'm going to close with this one um, illustration. I was thinking, I've been thinking about Jesus' last days when I was preparing this. So, we know that He wants His sons and daughters to be expecting Him to move and to be patient while we wait. But He also expects children that bear His DNA, children that bear His seed of the Holy Spirit, to be grateful in all circumstances and all situations. So, I was thinking again about Jesus. And what he went through. And we know that he was fully God. And we know that he was fully man. And look what I discovered. On the night when he was betrayed. Now remember Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the torture. He knew he would be lifted on a cross. He knew his closest friends were gonna curse his name, say, I've never, I don't know who that guy is. He knew this was coming. It didn't blindside him. He, he didn't go, well, if I had known that was happening, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have given thanks. On the night he was betrayed, knowing everything about what was coming, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave thanks for what was coming. That does something to my heart. I don't know what's ahead, but I want to have gratitude always mixed always seasoned in my conversation, no matter what I'm going through, because I want God's purpose to be fulfilled through my trial, through my tribulation, through my sorrow, through my pain.